And perhaps I should mention again, the evidence is the center of attention in the Gospel of John. When I say the evidence, I mean the evidence that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. John puts evidence on display through seven major miracles. John uses the word signs. There is the miracle at the Cana wedding feast in Galilee, turning water into wine, the healing of the nobleman's son, the healing of the infirm man on the Sabbath back in chapter 5, the miraculous feeding of the multitude in chapter 6, Jesus walking on water, and now in chapter 9, the sixth of those miracles are signs. Remember, this is evidence to produce faith in Christ in the hearts of good and honest people, faith that will express itself in the activity of obedience. We are in John chapter 9 after prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we ask for thy help as we read and concentrate on thy word for our daily use in the activity of our faith in Christ, for thy eternal glory. In Christ's name, amen. John chapter 9, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. In John chapter 9, 1 through 11. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus, made mud, and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. We're going to begin by talking about this man in John chapter 9. Jesus saw this man who was blind from birth and it might be a good idea when you read that in John 9 to just stop a moment 
and think about what that would be like. Just try to imagine that. Jesus saw this man who was blind from birth. Well, let that sink in. Think about having no vision at all from birth. That's just very hard to imagine. You would hear people talking about what they were seeing, but you wouldn't be able to see it. A more serious affliction can hardly be conceived. In his commentary on the Gospel of John, J.C. Riley said, Of all the bodily crosses that can be laid on man without taking away his life, none perhaps is greater than the loss of sight. It cuts us off from some of the greatest enjoyments of life. It shuts us up within a narrow world of our own. It makes us painfully helpless and dependent on others. So maybe this would be a good time to stop and not only consider that peril, but be sincerely thankful for the vision that you're able to have, though it may require some assistance. This is about a man who was blind from birth. The next thing to navigate in John chapter 9 could be considered the immediate reaction of his disciples. They said, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Now that question exhibits an assumption or a common belief that every individual case of suffering can be traced to some specific sin either committed by the suffering person or by the parents of that person. That's not true. That's not true. It is nowhere taught in Scripture. It reflects a blemished view of the character and nature of God the book of Job in the Old Testament is unmistakable in the testimony that sometimes terrible things happen to very good people and we may never know the reason why. Now, Jesus in the answer he gave offers his confirmation that what I've said is true. Jesus said it is not that this man sinned, or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus doesn't trace this man's condition to anyone's sin. But Jesus, being deity, knew something he could declare about this situation, that the works of God would be revealed in him. And by the way, we'll come to this again in John chapter 11. The sickness and death of Lazarus was treated in the same way. So, apparently, some adversities on earth, God used in the time of Christ to display the power of Christ and give evidence that Jesus was his son. I'm not inclined to analyze that or judge that. I just accept what the Lord said, that the works of God should be revealed. And then Jesus said, 
We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Now, that plugs us into one practical thing I'll mention briefly. The value of a sense of urgency about anything that pertains to God. The value of a sense of urgency about anything that pertains to God and His work and duty that's been assigned. That's the principle. And what it can be called is a call to urgency about anything that pertains to God. Now, in this context, there is a specific application. What Jesus was about to do was part of the work God gave him to do. And therefore, there was a sense of urgency Jesus had associated with what he was about to do. Now, that sense of urgency is connected to who Jesus is. Everything Jesus did and said is firmly connected to who Jesus is. And in this particular context... I am the light of the world identifies who Jesus is. Now, think of the contrast here. The blind man lives in darkness. He can hear people talking about what they see. He cannot see it. The blind man lives in darkness. In this miracle to be performed, Jesus illustrates his power And his power is about who he is. The light of the world. Now, look at verse 6. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed, and came back, seen. I cannot tell you exactly why Jesus used saliva to make mud to apply to the man's eyes. There is no direct information about that in the text. I can tell you what strikes me. Those who saw this happen or those who heard about this might be tempted to think not of Jesus' power but of spit and mud as a remedy. Perhaps there were those after this event who saw this or heard about this who tried the spit and mud remedy. It didn't work. And when it didn't work, what would be obvious in their minds? Well, I guess it takes more than spit and mud. Maybe it has to do with the power of the one who made the spit and mud poultice and applied it to his eyes. That's what strikes me. That it was not the spit or the mud, but the power of God working through his son, his son who is the light of the world. 
when this event is considered, and then all the hearings and testimony that came after this event, the clarity and simplicity of the evidence is, this had never happened. And it wasn't going to happen after Jesus. Spitting mud wouldn't work then. It was about Jesus who was the only one who could do this. It was about Jesus who was the only one who could do this. And so you arrive at verse 7. You arrive at verse 7. He said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Questions or comments before we go further? Yes. I think generally what it conveys is the urgency of what you do. There is a time frame in which you do the works of God. That time frame is not going to last forever. There'll be a time when you can't work anymore. Okay, good point. Now, at the end of verse 7, we are told that this man came back seen, and then John tells us about reactions and consequences in the community. And that's taking us to verses 8 through 12. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes open? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. There was an amazement about this. And some were not sure this was the man. But he said, I am the man. Questions came up, how then were your eyes open? And at this point and over the next few verses in the narrative, I'll tell you what impresses me. That's not the main idea, but it impresses me. This man who could now see was a very good communicator. A very good communicator. He was not wordy, not verbose. He was a very good, clear communicator. The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. And so I sent and washed and received my sight. I went and washed and received my sight. This man had been blind all his life. He had a story to tell, but he wasn't going to expand that story into an hour and a half interview with somebody. He just said, here are the facts. Here's what happened. Um, aside from Jesus, this man is one of the best communicators in John chapter 9. He's one of the best communicators. There was no long dramatic story to tell, no complexities. He didn't give a lot of color to the story. He didn't add anything. He just says, I am the man. The neighbors inquired. He will later say, I was blind, and now I can see. <laughs> I, I, that's a no-nonsense 
simple report of the facts. I'm impressed by this man. But they wanted to know more. Where, where is this man who applied the spit and mud poultice to your eyes? And the man who had been blind said, I don't know. <laughs> this is a man, a few words. Sometimes there's great value in that. The man who had been blind was a very concise speaker, very limited to the facts. Now, we, we may not have time to navigate all this this morning, but I want to continue at verse 13, and we're going to get a sense of some other reactions to this miracle. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day, when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son? who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. Now you begin to see where the blind man got his ability to communicate concisely. But, Verse 22 says his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I can see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. 
If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. The Pharisees believe they need to get involved in this. We need a committee hearing. We need an inquiry. Jesus has done something again. And as if it were not enough that he did something again, guess when he did it? When did he do it? On the Sabbath. Not violating God's Sabbath law, but violating their man-made rules and regulations. And so they say among themselves, call the committee together. We have to have a hearing. The Pharisees, I've told you before, were the religious, political, and social police of Judea. They watched everybody and everything. They were self-appointed, believing the community and the culture needed their protection. From a man who gives sight to the blind and violates their rules about the Sabbath. We already know Jesus never violated God's law about the Sabbath or anything. But he was not subject to the man-made traditions of the scribes and Pharisees. So the hearing begins. Mr. Blind Man, who can now see? How did you receive your sight? This man put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see now. Not all, but some of the Pharisees, well, said, this can't be a man of God. He violated Sabbath traditions. But now there's division. Another group of the Pharisees said, wait a minute now. How can a man who is a sinner do such things? How can this, this all fit? See, a clear miracle was performed by the Son of God who is the light of the world. There were witnesses and evidence and all that and the Pharisees now are divided. And the blind man says he is a prophet. The Pharisees' next step is we've got to subpoena the parents. We've got to get to the bottom of this. Bring the parents in to the interrogating room or the committee hearing room. Now we begin to see where this man learned to be a good communicator. His parents said, We know that this is our son. He was born blind. We do not know how he can now see and who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. They call the man back in and tell him Jesus is a sinner. Just glorify God. And then, well, the heat cranks up down there at verses 25 to 27. Whether he is a sinner, I do not know one thing. I do know that though I was blind, now I see. And he goes on to say at the end of verse 27, Do you want to become his disciples? And you can almost see flames coming out the ears of the Pharisees as you read that narrative. So, let's pause here and do some takeaways during our last ten minutes. And then we'll pick this up 
Uh, we'll rejoin the hearing and the interrogation Wednesday night. Takeaways. Back to the beginning of the story, when you witness someone suffering, before you say anything, apply good discipline of thought and pause before you just blurt out some judgment. It is very commonplace today for something to happen somewhere and for people without good pause and discipline of thought to just blurt out something. We need to be, as Christians, a disciplined and sober people. Here was a case where the disciples just blurted something out. This flawed conclusion, I think, is probably still around today. That if somebody is suffering in some way, physical or in any sort of way, then they did something wrong or their parents did something wrong. Something bad will happen to a person or a group of people in a region of the country. And somebody will say, well, those ungodly people deserve that. Somebody will go on TV and say, God is expressing His wrath. We need to be careful and disciplined about just blurting out something like that. About what we think God is doing and His wise providence. He doesn't have to tell us or consult with us. We are not that smart. There was an awful grasshopper swarm in Las Vegas last week. And I saw some of the video in the news reports and the air was just thick with grasshoppers. And not long after the breaking news, quick judgments came through social media about what God was doing to those people in Las Vegas. We don't know that. We don't know that. We've got to guard against that habit. Something happens bad somewhere and we just blurt out the first thing that comes to mind. We need good, careful discipline of thought. And there may be some people in the world who just don't need our immediate wisdom. Maybe we just need to be quiet, consider it, pray about it, guard against making claims that would make us look foolish and that, in fact, would reflect on our God. While all the dramatic dialogue is intriguing in John 9, the main point shouldn't be missed. The main point of all this is Jesus is the light of the world. I love the blind man's ability of concise communication, but that's not the main point. I think it's kind of funny that people might try spit mud later and it would occur to them that it took Jesus to do that. I think the Pharisees portray themselves in a ridiculous light by all this interrogation. 
But all that is part of the narrative. The main thing is Jesus is the light of the world. There are people who have perfect 2020 vision. They are not blind physically. But in their lives, they're wandering around day after day in darkness. I hope that can't be said of anyone here. But stop and consider. You may have 20-20 vision, maybe without any assistance, but your life may have embedded in it a surrounding darkness that you need to get out of. <clears throat> the only remedy for the spiritually blind is to see Jesus as the light of the world and step over into that light and walk in that light by obeying the gospel and being a Christian. That's the way out of darkness, and it's the only way. It's the only way. Anything else before I continue? Got a couple more takeaways. Maybe one. <clears throat> when someone asks about your life as a Christian, when someone inquires about who changed you, someone asks about your belief in Jesus Christ, don't be tempted to give an hour-long theological lecture. Tell people, I read the Bible. I came to the New Testament. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I was introduced to Jesus Christ, and the evidence was insurmountable. I believed Him to be the only begotten Son of God. I went on to the book of Acts, and I learned what I must do to become a Christian and be a Christian. Let's take the blind man and his parents as an example. Not the fear of his parents, but the concise ability to lay it out. Instead of an hour-long theological lecture. There might be an example here. I learned about Jesus. I read the New Testament. I obeyed Him. That can be a good starting point. And then, as the person you're talking to responds with inquiries, then you can have a good dialogue. But to begin by saying, sit down now. This lecture begins in two minutes. And giving an hour-long lecture might not be the best approach. Be brief. Tell them about Jesus and your obedience to Him and the book you found all that in and encourage them to read it. And then as responses come back, a good dialogue can take place. Anything else? I will mention, I don't think it's on the slide... I will go back to something I mentioned earlier and that Dennis brought up that we have time to talk about for a minute or two. I must work the works while it is called today because the night comes when no man can work. Night could come for any of us at any time.
Recent news is an example. Mothers don't go into Walmart with their kids to buy school supplies <clears throat> expecting that they're going to die. Recent news and news we will hear in the future will give us examples all the time <clears throat> of night coming unexpectedly. So, night could come for any of us at any moment and with sudden death no more opportunity. So whatever you do and whatever I do in response to Jesus Christ that we've read in the book of God, whatever we decide we're going to do about that, we cannot say, I'm going to do that someday. That's my plan when I get all this other stuff in my life moved out of the way. Then I'm going to do this. We need to know that night could come for any of us at any moment. So Wednesday night, we're going to navigate through the rest of John chapter 9. I hope you'll be here for that. Um, podcasts are available on our website that give you little brief capsules of what we do in these classes in the Gospel of John. Chapter 9, we will complete Wednesday night. Thank you very much for your good attention to our study. <coughs>